This show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. EvanX.com Tesla Accessories, our TeslaOwnersOnline.com community, and our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash TeslaOwnersOnline. Well, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tesla Owners Online Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Page. For episode 109, October 14th, I'm joined by my friends Eric and Ian. How are you guys doing? Hello, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. Doing well, wow, it's been you. a while. I mean, with the last show we did, we talked about uh, Tesla's um, shareholder meeting. And of course, at the end of the month, they're going to have their uh, earnings call, which is obviously going to be very good. But today we uh, wanted to jump in because we've got lots of stuff to report. Obviously, the big news, of course, um, has been uh, this, this, this really weird and bizarre thing with NHTSA. Now, for those of you who don't know, NHTSA is the National Highway Transport Safety Agency in the U.S., and um, anyways, I'm going to bring up a page here so that we can talk about this real quick. Uh, this is courtesy of our friends at uh, Tesla Roddy here. Simon Alvarez wrote this, wrote, wrote this really good article. Anyway, so the National Highway Transport Safety Agency has asked Tesla to explain why it rolled out a safety enhancement for its autopilot driver assist system without issuing a safety-related recall. The autopilot improvement was rolled out to Tesla's fleet of vehicles through a free software over-the-air update. Now, later on in the article... <laughs> This is really bizarre because in the, in the letter that they sent out, they said, as Tesla is aware, the Safety Act imposes an obligation on manufacturers of motor vehicles and motor vehicle equipment to initiate a recall by notifying NHTSA when they determine vehicles or equipment they produce contain defects related to motor vehicle safety and not to comply with an applicable motor vehicle safety standard. All right. We need to talk about this because this is really bizarre. And I, and I know it sounds a little convoluted, but listen, this is a software update that adds a feature to the car. Um, this is related to the um, emergency vehicle thing that came out a couple weeks ago. And NHTSA is saying, you need to issue a recall. I'm like, how do you issue a recall when it's a feature that was added to the car, not the something that was defective prior to the car? It never existed before. So like, the internet's yeah. all like cuckoo yeah. about this whole thing like what the hell are these guys talking about so anyways i thought we'd have a discussion because ian you had talked privately prior um you know a few days ago between the three of us and you had read it and you had a take on it we have a take on it so what do you guys think i mean is this is this like making a mountain out of a molehill or it is a weird one, right? Because we're we're living in strange new times. Where, to your point, yeah, I mean, you can do an over the air update that uh, that fixes something. But the question, I think, the whole thing hinges around is: Are they truly adding a feature, or are they are they correcting something that was defective, quote unquote, in the software previously? And that's going to be a very much an eye of the beholder thing. I tend to lean towards the they're they're adding a feature. Because you, the, the whole problem with with FSD and, and autopilot in general is, it's just, it's a it's they're all still level two, right? At the stage we're at now, they're understood to be level two. You have to have the driver involved, and to my mind, that means that no matter what the system is doing, if there it, it encounters a situation that it can't deal with properly, you, the driver, are supposed to take over. That's implicit. It's understood. It's written sixty-seven times everywhere you go to press the button to engage the thing, right? We all understand that. So the fact that it wasn't maybe always um, recognizing emergency vehicles, and this is the issue, right? Was when you had emergency vehicles parked, whatever, it, there was a possibility that it would continue on, it would collide into them. 
So you, the driver, are responsible at all times for detecting that's going to happen, paying attention, and and you know taking action as if you would in any other situation where the car isn't quite certain. We've all, I think, everybody who's ever used autopilot occasionally runs into something that the car doesn't quite know yet how to deal with. So I don't see that as being any different. And what they've done now is they've improved it to the way that it can it can perform better under those conditions. It can recognize the emergency vehicles. It can move out of the way. So was it a defect? I mean, if the onus is on the driver at all times to correct these things that the car isn't perfect at doing yet, I don't see that as a defect in, in that there's a whole bunch of things it still doesn't do perfectly. So I, I think NHTSA is trying to start a fight on this one for whatever reason, for reason X, Y, and Z. I, I don't see it as a legitimate issue. It's not like the car had a problem braking or steering and they had to do a software update to correct what was an otherwise dangerous condition you know, in the operation of the vehicle that you, the driver, couldn't compensate for. That's how I see it. So I have a counterpoint. Okay. And my counterpoint is this. So there's a couple things at play here, right? And to your point, Ian, there's a lot of newness to all of these conversations we're having, where number one, the the framework of the law as it's written was written at a time where autonomy was not part of the language. It was not something that was known in vehicles and everything was about driver responsibility and driver safety. So we were texting back and forth about a recent airbag recall where, um, for example, I owned a Honda Fit, Honda Motor Corps had written a letter to me saying, hey, your driver's side airbag is part of this recall. It's a voluntary recall. We're just giving you notice under the guidance of the law, uh, under the requirements of the act. And we're just letting you know there's a recall. So if you want to bring your vehicle in, schedule an appointment, we'll swap out the airbag and you're on your way. So I, of course, decided to just go ahead and do that, right? It's a voluntary recall, but I'm going to err on the side of caution and go ahead and get my airbag replaced. And then some months later, I think it was more than a year later, I get another letter advising me, oops, the passenger side airbag also has to get replaced. We're just letting you know, and then it's volunteer if you want to do that. So to me, that's sort of what I think is the expectation from a company like Tesla to just at least send out a notification, which they can easily do through the app for every Tesla owner in a matter of seconds, just to let them know, hey, this is the notice that by law we're required to send you. Now, I also would stipulate that while you're right in driver responsibility is the number one priority when you're behind the wheel of a vehicle, the fact of the matter is the cars didn't, as we've seen many cases, did not stop when the vehicle was expected to stop, right? Even if you have the emergency systems in place that the owners had at the time the vehicles were on the road, accidents with other vehicles like an emergency vehicle did happen. So certainly, yes, we can fault the driver, but the car obviously didn't have its interventions catch the the vehicle in time to prevent the accident in the first place. So the way that NHTSA probably sees this is you had a gap in technology. Your vehicles were not 100% deterrence from avoiding a collision with an emergency vehicle. So now that you're releasing an update to prevent that problem, ideally we're saying you're now fixing a problem that existed and so you're obligated to notify the vehicle owners that there is a recall. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, I did air quote fingers, <laughs> understandably so, because while again, we're seeing the the new manifestations of this guidance 
the reality is, yes, we probably could warrant an update to account for these new autonomous features that a number of OEM vehicles are now implementing. But the fact is, it's it's still understandable for NHTSA and other organizations to point the finger at OEMs and say, you're still obligated to communicate these changes, whether or not it means bringing in a vehicle to a shop like it was with Honda, or just ha- pushing a software update, which now a lot of cars are going to be able to do. I think you've nailed it right there, Eric. I think um, throughout the whole confusion about the whole situation, because what te- what NHTSA is trying to do right now kind of dovetails into the whole brouhaha that happened several weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, uh, about the emergency vehicle situation where cars were not slowing down and so on and so forth. So in their mind, what they're seeing, I think, if I understand what you're saying now, is that because Tesla did this software update, they see it as a safety thing. Therefore, it should have been under the auspices of a, of a recall of sorts. Um, hard to issue a recall when you're doing things updated through software it's, uh, updates. So I think part of that is you know, NHTSA needs to get up with the times and stuff. But uh, you're absolutely right. And I think in some respects, if they were to um, you know update the app or communications through the car and say, we are obligated, and maybe you don't call it a recall, but maybe we're obligated to tell you in advance that we have this update coming that's going to fix these things. So I understand both sides of the fence. It's just it's just weird that NHTSA just went off on this thing and didn't really explain it. Plus, the other th- the other part of this, too, we didn't really explain is that part of the same letter that was sent to them is that they are requesting all of the data regarding the FSD situation that's going on. So in my mind, there's a two part of this thing. There's the safety portion of it. And the other part really, in some ways, you know, smacks a little bit of a witch hunt. So we'll see how this thing plays out. But I think it's it's kind of interesting. And I think there's been a lot of confusion over this whole thing. Um, you know, NHTSA's asked Tesla within a certain amount of time to respond and stuff. So obviously it's in their hands. They're going to have to do what they have to do. But anyways, a lot of clarification needs to happen on both sides of the fence. Any closing thoughts on this before we move on? Well, I was going to say too, like, you know, we, we hear the word recall and most vehicle owners understand what that infers. And I think, you know, maybe there is a need for a new definition, again, perhaps an amendment to the law, if not a whole new version of it uh, to account for these changes. But yeah, like you hear recall and someone thinks I have to bring my vehicle somewhere when in this instance, it is a software update. So even if you have a service bulletin or a safety notice or whatever terminology you want to use so that when you're notifying Tesla owners that this is what's going to be an imminent change to your vehicle and what safety improvements are going to be deployed, that alone may be satisfactory in the eyes of NHTSA and other legal organizations. But the fact is, the absence of that communication, I think, is the bigger standing issue than anything else that happened before that. I'll, yeah, I'll tack one thing on in our private conversation a few days ago. What my suggestion was is, you know, I think the vast majority of owners wind up getting these updates within a matter of weeks of them being released, which is outstanding. It's much, much quicker than any recall program I've ever seen, you know, on a traditional OEM where you had to bring the vehicle in to get service. They take months, if not years, to be completed. So the speed element here is excellent. And and what I would think is, in order to appease NHTSA, is listen, let's call it within a three or four week window. If they can push the update to 95% of the fleet and it's automatically registered and they know the vehicles have got it, they have confirmation of that, then none of those owners necessarily need to be notified. You know, the, they can put something on the car screen saying, hey, you've got the latest update and a new important safety feature has been added or whatever. So that's taken care of. And then they only need to notify by writing, whether it be, you know, uh, an old school snail mail letter or by an email or what have you, the owners that for whatever reason didn't get the update or it hasn't processed because the car is in 
some storage bunker or you know whatever the scenario is. But that's only going to be a handful of cars. So I would go back to NHTSA and say, listen, that's that's what we want to do. Why notify everybody when the car's already got the updates? You know, mm-hmm. I would I would disagree on this one point, Ian. I think. Largely, I agree with you, but I would say there should still be a notice before the software updates deployed. For example, let's say there's an issue with the dev build and they know, for example, that they have to get this bulletin out, but they know that the deployment um, of the update is going to be a few days away or maybe even a few weeks away. It depends upon the, the, the depth and severity of the update. Um, it still is not going to hurt to push the notice to your Tesla app and then maybe the update comes in a few days. So it could be like Tuesday notice goes out. And they're saying by midnight Friday uh, Pacific time, this update will start going out to the fleet. Because we know that based on your time zone, internet connectivity, there's a number of different reasons that these updates could take different times. So the notice should come first, and then that way you're aware the update's coming. So when you get it, you're more compelled to want to install it to satisfy the requirement by NHTSA. Excellent points. Excellent points. To which I will also add, it would be really nice to get the release notes prior to <laughs> installing the software rather than after the fact. I mean, Windows, Apple operating system, they all do that. They always tell you, you know, here's the thing or here's a link you can go mm-hmm. to before you apply it rather than like, oh, I got XYZ software update and you do the update and reboots and then, oh, there's no new features or there's bug fixes or whatever the case may be, right? So anyways, but anyways, Tesla's going to be Tesla. <laughs> I just see this turning into a slippery slope, though, because especially with FSD beta, there's so much. I mean, how many videos have we all watched? There's a lot of goofy things that it still doesn't quite understand when you're dealing with tight alleyways and, you know, snaking around 13 garbage cans in some strange pattern or whatever it is with a dog running out and a bicycle coming the other way. Like, there's always going to be some weird little scenario that it's not perfect yet. And this is the whole point of the beta testers run driving around. So... You know, like, where? how far do they go with it? It's like, oh, we've detected that if bicycles come in at a 32.6 degree angle and the guy's wearing plaid pants, well, it might not <laughs> detect it if the, you know, if the moon's in the third quarter, We, you need to issue a recall notice. Like, it could literally go that far. Like, well, I, I, I would, I would argue, I would argue that with something that is beta and because of how small a number of owners that do have it, it's a very different thing because it's not standard with your vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is an optional package that you can elect to get. And even then, as we're seeing now, you have to have a very specific driving history. So somebody with an 84 driving score is not getting FSD beta. So the likelihood of someone who's 100 or 99 score, which we'll get to in uh, later in the podcast, who has that rating, is not going to drive so erratic or is be to, you know, be the kind of driver that's not going to be giving its full attention to then all of a sudden have these issues, right? They're not all of a sudden going to go, why did I hit a, go- a post, right? Like it's, it's not likely that driver that's doing it. I mean, they're being very smart and judicious to release it to, to those drivers who are most likely going to avoid an accident because they are paying attention and they have such a clean driving record. Um, that's a whole different conversation for a whole different topic. But I will tell you that I think that for a standard feature, like the vehicles were known to be accident avoidance. It's one of the things that Tesla talks about, which is the safety record that they they browbeat people to seeing as one of the first things they talk about. Like, we're going to build the safest cars on the road. If they're hitting stopped fire trucks, that's not the safest car on the road. Uh, even if you have drivers who are alert all the time, it's things can still happen. So ideally, it is it is a fix that's needed but that's why, you know, going circling back to what we we're saying before, uh, this is this is a standard feature, something that they're known to do. They sell the vehicles on that metric, and so that's something that should be expected. Yeah. 
Well, you happen to mention FSD beta, so we're going to kind of skip ahead and we might as well just dive right into that because we've got some other <laughs> stuff we want to talk about. So obviously, right. um, if you've been on Twitter or you've pushed the beta button, everybody realizes now the FSD beta, at least in the first batch of people with scores of uh, 100 or more. Well, actually, you can't get more than 100. Anyway, so the FSD beta went out last weekend. Um, apparently went out to about a thousand people or so. Um, it's part of the 10.2 release. So reactions to this have been kind of mixed. Obviously, the people that have had FSD beta for the better part of a year and that team of people have said that they've seen some improvements, some regression. It kind of happens. Um, some of the other people, obviously, like our friend Mark Benton, for example, did a, a really interesting thread on his observations. There's a whole thread on our forum, of course, on people that have um, have been using it. Um, people that are new to the fold have been reporting that they they feel well, they're not they're not used to it. So obviously, it's catching them off guard in a lot of ways. So, anyways, so the, the reactions are mixed. Um, the next step is to go out to people with scores of about 99 um, scores or, or so. Elon said, and I'll bring up the tweet here so everybody can see. I'll just bring this up here. Come on, Elon. There we go. Um, someone on Twitter here named Jeff, he says, when is FSD beta expanding to 99 scores? And Elon said, well, maybe next week. We'd like to get to 10.3 before expanding the beta. So obviously, baby steps at this point, we have to take our time with this. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, FSD beta is not available anywhere outside of the U.S. at this point. Um, people, again, reiterating you have to have a score of 100. Although there's been lots of talk, of course, on Twitter and on the Internet as to what constitutes a 100 score because it's been, I mean, the metrics that, that, uh, that Tesla's been using has been all over the map. People have been trying to divine what's going on. Obviously, the algorithm certainly needs some work. We talked about this before. Um, have you guys seen any of the videos about this? I mean, I mean, I've seen some improvements to the UI, but other than that, not much else has really changed. I just want to go on record as saying I find the metrics they're using to determine who gets to to test it a little absurd. Because if you think about it, they're they're seeing how cautious and precise a driver you are, and when you're using FSD beta you're not driving the car. The car is. So what you really should be checking is how closely are you paying attention to the road? And really, the only way to know that is, is, is your hand constantly torquing the steering wheel and is the camera now, the interior camera, tracking your eyes they, they and making are. sure that you're looking at the road. Mm -hmm. So th that's really, I think, 90% of the weight should be on that. Obviously, you want to encourage drivers who have safe habits and you know are, are driving reasonably. I don't, I don't say that those things are not valuable but the primary focus is you should really be good at paying attention for long periods of time when you're not actively driving the car and that's quite a different skill set that's not i don't think being weighted as much as it should not from the way i read you know how they're they're doing this so i i think i understand your perspective ian but i'll i'll add to this uh and i will call it yet another counterpoint if you are the kind of driver who does have erratic driving, where you accelerate very quickly, you have to suddenly brake a lot, uh, your your curves and your turns are a bit uh, you know, erratic as well, then likely you're not driving very safely. And I think what's happening is they're gonna want to deploy the beta software to those drivers who the vehicle's gonna drive almost uh, you know, inch for inch the way the driver does right stop it full stop at every stop sign you know consciously looking at all the intersections like doing everything that your attentive driver would do and so while i understand that there is 
uh, to your point, um, you know, the need to have that attentiveness, eyes on the road, not at your phone. Like I'm sure part of that is in that calculation in that um, algorithm. But I still think it's you want a car to mimic the behavior of the driver when there is no beta software, when you're just in the car, you put it in drive and you go. And I think for Tesla to focus on that kind of driver first is good because your behavior shouldn't change that drastically if you're as attentive with your hands sort of loose off the wheel versus when you're like gripping it for dear life and sort of making sure that, you know, grandma's not crossing with her walker right as you're trying to go through a stop sign. Um, so I, th I think that's, I think that's a good chunk of it. Um, how they calculate that, I agree. We're all sort of mystified by how it's all done. I don't have FSD beta, so I can't certainly stipulate how it is. And I work from home, so good luck with getting that calculation. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think there's a, at least, I think part of it is the human factor, which is we want the car to mimic the behavior already exhibited by the driver. Well, it, you have to also remember too, this is the initial release going out to, you know, non-vetted people, so to speak. Um, I use that term kind of loosely, but... Um, you know, obviously, if they're going to release it to a larger chunk of people, they have to get a certain amount of data back to see exactly how the behavior, what kind of disengagements are they getting, what kind of false positives. So they mm -hmm. can assess, you know, what the safety factor is. And if they determine that it's better, then maybe they can push it up a little bit. But anyways, it's really cautious. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk, of course, uh, you know, part of this NHTSA thing there, too, is that they seem to be got their panties a little bit of a knot because apparently some people had said, well, they're supposed to be under NDA. Well, obviously, this new batch, nobody's under NDA at this point. So there's a lot of confusion about this. Listen, if you're getting FSD, there is no NDA anymore. You know, nobody, you know, you're allowed to post what you want. So I would say uh, just as a precaution, if you're going to get it and you're going to test it, please be safe. Use it responsibly because the last thing you want is for the things that we've been waiting for for this long. We don't want them to be taken away just because somebody is being a fool. Lowest common denominator type of laws will apply to this kind of stuff. So please, I want my toys. Don't take them away just because you want to be a fool and you want clicks on YouTube. So that's my Let me ask you guys this. this. <laughs> Based on what we've seen so far, as far as the deployment schedule, the amount of drivers that have it, the videos we've seen, do you think we're on pace to see a full deployment in the next calendar year, five years? Like, what do you think the timeline is right now based on what we've seen so far? I would see a, a wider beta definitely in the next calendar year. Forget about the robo-taxi thing. We're still far away from that. We're not even close to level four, level five. This is still level two maybe level three-ish, 2.5. But do you think as far as full-fledged FSD functionality, are we five to 10 years out at minimum? Like robo-taxi level. Mm. Correct. I, I kind of, I'm optimistic enough to say, yeah, five years, I think we could get there if it goes, you know, it seems to be advancing very quickly now, but you know, there's, there's still some tiny little things like how the hell do you keep the cameras clean? <laughs> Yeah. in inclement weather you know like there's <laughs> that's the giant you know elephant in the room that i still am waiting on an answer for well i will mention this um there have been some clips um like our friend raj for example just threw a towel on the front camera uh mm -hmm. during an fsd thing and the camera responded i can't see and it moved the windshield wipers so at least from that aspect it is aware of need that, to be cleaned but that's the only camera that's self-cleaning on I, the car I know, right now. I know, I know, I know. We've know, talked about no this. That's no problem. <laughs> We've talked exactly. about this many times before. So you know, well, and the wipers are imperfect as they are. Mm -hmm. Well, that well, so. actually, the automatic wipers have been a lot better. They're getting they're getting yeah. better, and I know a sure. recent software update did fix that. There were some improvements there, but ideally, you know, there are times where it's like really super heavy rain, and the wipers are still acting like it's intermittent rain. And then uh, there are times where I I don't need it to be super. It's not, 
raining much at all and the wipers are like at a speed three so there there's still some erratic behavior that i've seen but ideally like there, even that even that's imperfect so it would expect to be that some of the reliance of that technology would also need to be perfected before you can get the full release i i, I mean i've seen there was a video that we saw on twitter which i know um was commented on recently about the waymo driver who took a ride, very short ride but it like went down like a cul-de-sac and then yes. came back around but the the person who took that waymo commented in that twitter thread uh, feed and said well no i intentionally that, that was me because i asked for clarification to kind of, yeah. right because it, it had to go that route on purpose um but i mean we're seeing i mean those literally have no one in the driver's seat that's right uh and we're seeing better functionality sometimes from those cars they are seeing from fsd so it's i think all of the data we're getting is really helpful uh because it is a lot of real world data and it is limited to the U.S. right now, so it'll be very interesting to see when my folks up north in Canada will <laughs> get their hands on it, and of course other countries too beside that. But we're already seeing a lot of complexities just here in the U.S. alone for the hundreds and hundreds of drivers that have it. So I'm sure that that data set, once they sort of refine it and get it really well tuned, will then go, okay, now we're ready to go to country BCD and see where that goes next. But I... I, I to answer my own question, I still think we're at least four to five years away before there's like a non-beta version that's out for deployment. FSD beta has been tested by Tesla, Tesla employees here in Canada since at least December of last year, um, but it's held up in regulatory approval. So that's why I tweeted at Transport Canada like. Come on, guys. It's time to get off the pot here. All right, let's move on here. We want to talk about Giga Berlin. Giga Berlin. Now, if you've been living under a rock, you probably didn't realize that uh, Tesla had a very large open house at uh, Tesla uh, Berlin, well, Brandenburg, which is just outside of Berlin, uh, for friends and family and media and all the other stuff. Um, I actually wrote a large article on some of the findings on our website here. I'll bring up the uh, the forum. Um, I'll put a link in the uh, show notes for you guys uh, if you want to read, because there were some very interesting bits. Um, obviously, with a new factory, we want to see what kind of improvements. This factory, at least for now, is dedicated to building Model Y for the European market. And boy, oh boy, did we ever discover some very interesting things. So I'm going to go down some of the points that I think they're in, uh, that are very important. Um, first of all, at, during the tour of the factory, which would have been awesome to see, um, they had several different stations showing various construction methods of the car. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about here is the structural battery pack. Now, at one station, Tesla had a Model Y with 2170 cells in it, and right next to it, a Model Y with the new structural pack containing the 4680 cells. Very different construction methods as far as the floor is concerned and the front of the car. The 2170 uh, cell cars, which are going to be the initial ones made at the factory because the 4680 cells are not ready for production yet, um, are going to be built the traditional way. So it's going to have all the usual metal parts in the front, not the front casting. They're going to have the rear casting. That's coming soon. Um, but more interestingly is the differences in the structural pack. And uh, of course, they had one of those cars. And what's really interesting about the structural pack is... And, and we kind of surmise this too, because if you look back last year in September when they had the uh, uh, shareholders meeting in Fremont, 
there was a graphic behind Elon, of course, and they showed how the car kind of was put together. And the one thing that caught my eye was the fact that the floor of the car is actually top of the battery pack. Now, Elon had mentioned this on the third row uh, Tesla podcast, I think it was a couple of years ago, that they were thinking about making the structural battery pack in, in such a way that why do we need to have a top? Why don't we make it actually structural as part of the car in the sense that why double up all these parts? Well, that's in effect exactly what is going on here. So beside the, um, uh, if you can see this image here, for those of you watching on YouTube, there's a cutaway of the 4680 pack, and I'll talk about the structure here in a second. But effectively what's going on here is that the battery pack is actually the floor of the car. Uh, there were some other images. Uh, this one here I spent a lot of time looking at is uh, one of the brand new 4680 uh, or structural battery pack uh, bodies of the Model Y with the new front casting and the rear casting. And these cars have no floor. And this was actually confirmed by some of the people on the show floor um, saying that the structural battery pack is the actual part of the floor. The seats and the center console are going to be bolted to the battery pack. The battery pack is going to be installed from the bottom up in the car and Bob's your dog. So it's it's solving so many more problems, uh, so, so many more, um, I mean, they're making it much more effective and time cons uh, less time uh, required to build the car, less robots and, and all the other stuff. The other thing too, of course, they don't have to install the seats necessarily through the door. I mean, the dash, they still have to, mind you, but things like using robots or people push, um, you know, put the seats through the door, center console and that kind of thing. So anyways, lots of really neat improvements. Um, the other thing too, of course, is that some of the improvements that I've seen in this battery pack, there is a cutaway up here. Maybe we'll talk about this in a second. I'd like to go back through the body one more time. Here's a great shot of the Model Y with the structural battery pack. And you can tell because it has that new front casting. And for those of you who might be watching on YouTube, I want to point out here in the front of the car, there's these little... Um, um, uh, aluminum bars that stick out the front. So you see the casting, which is the dark gray part, and you got these uh, bars that stick out the front. Um, the bumper the, rails. Yeah. Okay. So those are the crush cans. Those are the things that, mm -hmm. uh, if you watched our uh, podcast with Sandy Monroe, had explained, Tesla likes to show these off when you go to the Tesla factory. These mm -hmm. are bolt-on parts that actually slide into the body structure. Now, it doesn't matter whether you have a front casting or car made it the traditional way. But these are the parts that are self-sacrificing in an accident. So if you get a frontal or something like that, these are designed to crush. In the event of an accident or a repair, um, these can be unbolted and removed, provided that the casting's not damaged or deformed. They can actually be removed and they can rebuild the whole front end. So anyways, this is a, a very big step change um, in how the cars are built. So I want to go back a little bit here and just... Um, talk about this image very quickly because I've, I studied this quite closely as well as some others. There's a drastic reduction in the amount of parts to build this car. Now we've known this, you know, Tesla's talked about this from the rear casting, eliminating some 70 odd parts. I'm going to say that they're eliminating at least 50 parts from the front of the car. Those of you who might have pulled the front trunk out of your car before and you've seen how many separate pieces of metal or you watch Santa Monroe's videos when he does the teardowns, they like to talk about overlapping different thicknesses of metal and so on and so forth. All this stuff is gone, my friends. It's all gone. So essentially what I'm looking at here in a Model Y is you've got a front casting, a rear casting, and you've got a large high-strength steel um, side body panels, on, one on each side, some stringers that go between them at the top, and then the actual metal uh, or aluminum uh, or steel body panels that are attached on the on the outside of this. Um, at one of the stations in here, and I don't have a picture of it, but they said that Tesla is claiming they can build a Model Y body panel or body 
in approximately 45 seconds. Now, at what stage is the 45 second at? I, I don't really know. I would probably assume that at least the two front castings and the side metal pieces attached could be done in approximately 45 seconds. The rest of it, I mean, it probably takes longer because there are several stages. Anyways, this is huge, folks. I, I can't I can't express this enough how much of a step change this is as far as construction. Now, for those of you who are, might be saying, well, I'm going to wait and buy a Model Y because it's going to be so much better in this and that and the other thing. Look, at the end of the day, I don't think it makes a lick of difference as to whether you get a, a Model Y uh, that's built in Berlin or the Gigafactory compared to, you know, Fremont or even Shanghai for that matter. They're still structurally just as identical. You're just getting one with a casting or not. At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. The outlying part, though, too, is the battery pack. Now, there's been a lot of discussion, should I wait for a 4680 battery pack or not? Some people are claiming that because Tesla says that the battery cells allow for more range, automatically the Model Y is going to get more range. I don't really truly believe that. I do believe that what Tesla will do is equip the cars with the same amount of kilowatt hours in the battery pack and still sell it for the same price. That means that they will make probably more profit over time. You can't when you first make the car because expenses and so on and so forth. So... Okay, um, let's talk about the, the battery pack because there's two parts to this thing. Obviously, with this new battery pack, um, it's a different structure. It's part of the structure of the car. They're going to be bonded together. And there is a video that was actually put out by um, um, a YouTube uh, guy who just goes by the name Engineerics, um, who takes apart cars. He just got his hands on a Plaid Model S who has taken it apart. Uh, he did a teardown of the new battery pack. I did tweet about it. The battery pack in that car, in the Model S, the new Model S, is so different. Um, it's it's literally so different compared to the Model S outgoing. Now, the previous uh, Model S battery packs have anywhere from 14 to 16 individual models, uh, modules, I should say. Uh, the batteries organized in different ways. The coolings organized in a certain way. What I noticed from that video is exactly what I'm seeing in the new structural battery pack. So I think the Model S battery pack that's in production right now is a test bed for what's happening in the 4680 structural battery pack. So literally the cooling system is exactly the same. It looks like um, maybe how the bus bars work are, are, are almost the same. There were some videos or some photographs that were taken of some close-ups of some of the static stations that Tesla had. It, it appears that the top of the battery pack um, where the cells are, are connected, uh, Tesla traditionally uses wire bonding, which is a little thin fusible link between either the 2170 or 18650 cell. It looks, and uh, do I have a photo of it here? Son of a gun. I don't, unfortunately. Anyways, um, the top of the cell looks like the positive and the negative are on the top of the cell. So they're actually only um, having to do uh, connections on the top of the battery pack. So anyways, the cooling on this thing is running laterally, so not, uh, or which way, sideways through the battery pack instead of longitudinally. Um, the uh, the coolant hoses, where are, where's my picture here? So the, the coolant hose, I wish I could zoom in here. The coolant hoses uh, run along one side and then down on the other side. So it's the same thing on the uh, Model S battery pack. So anyways, it's pretty cool. This is, this is going to be pretty slick. Um, some other stuff that happened here, um, there was also talk about the Model Y's active headlights. They did have one station where they had a, um, you know, the headlights set up in a mock front end of a Model Y projecting on the wall. And I'll play the video here of these uh, Tesla logos. I'll just turn this down a little bit. It's a little bit loud. There we go. There we go. It's a short little clip. But anyway, showing that the um, the, the projectors in these new headlights 
um, are coming to the European market. So whether it makes it its way to North America, I don't know whether it needs to be required, you know, regulatory approval or something. So it's uh, pretty interesting that way. And lastly, a uh, couple other points. They had uh, a large display of one of the castings or the, uh, the die molds that are used for the casting. So it's pretty huge. I can't tell. I think this is the rear casting. Yeah, I think that's the rear casting. They have another one for the front as well. And of course, they don't let anybody near the paint booths, but uh, they have the brand new Dur uh, Color Lab paint booth with all the robots running. Oh, maybe I'll just turn that down a little bit. Cool robots. I have very high faith that the robots in the paint booth will be better in Giga Berlin. <laughs> now, now you, sir, that's so excited about the idea of them coming out with a radical new red uh, along the lines of Mazda's red, the mm. name of which I never remember. Did you catch that little Easter egg of an image of that Y tucked in the background in one of the shots? Somebody posted that on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have the images here, but someone did mm -hmm. take a picture of a, a car down one of the production lines that was partially draped, yep. um, and it looked like the crimson and red mm -hmm. um, that Elon had hinted at that they were going to do. So I, I think the fact that they've got a brand new state-of-the-art paint booth, I mean, the last paint booth that Tesla installed, um, and I don't know about the one in Shanghai, but the one in Fremont was put in around 2014, and it was kind of slapped in there really quick. I do believe that um, this is going to be super state-of-the-art, and I'm very hopeful that not only is the paint quality going to be better, but in due time we will see different colors and hopefully more colors. Um, Volkswagen uses the same type of systems from the same company. They're very famous um, throughout their different divisions, namely Porsche, for example. You can order pretty much any color you want under the under the sun. So I'm hopeful that eventually that uh, we will we will get something like that in due time. So, anyways, very exciting to see all these developments, and of course, everything you see here is also going to be in Giga Berlin or uh, Giga Texas. Maybe even some other improvements, of course. So it's looking it's looking really promising. Any thoughts on this guy? I mean, I've been hogging this whole thing because I really like this stuff, but uh, what are your thoughts? I, I couldn't possibly add much more to what you <laughs> said. I don't know about you, Eric. I, I guess the only addition I have is this is fantastic for podcast listeners because they can't see this stuff. Uh, so we always recommend that they go to YouTube to see some of this content. I think, I think in general, you know, the more evolutions in gigafactories that Tesla's building out and as the technology improves over time with each one um, based on, you know, the production timeline, you're going to see improvements that the vehicles that come out of that factory may be a generation better than the one that came before it. So, you know, we, we've routinely discussed on this show and whether I've been on it or other guests have been on it, how much improvements we've seen in the quality of the vehicles coming out of China than we have seen coming out of Fremont. And now we're hearing about how impressive the, the build-out is in Berlin. And so it's not surprising that as Giga Texas comes to fruition in the months ahead, that it too may be even on par or slightly ahead of what we're seeing out of Berlin. So, um, you know, I just, I think we're going to continue hearing this. We're going to continue seeing this. Uh, as Elon mentioned in the, uh, the shareholders meeting last week, that, yeah, we're, we're going to keep Fremont. It's going to obviously keep operating because it needs to. But generationally, it is now in, I don't want to say it's, I guess you could say it's a vintage factory mm -hmm. uh, based on the tech that's now available in the newest factories that have opened since then. Yeah, absolutely. Fremont is starting to show its age in some, in some respects. Um, speaking of which. It's also super tiny. I mean, that's, that's the thing too. We yeah, have to realize that yeah. they were limited by real estate. 
I mean, you, when you have countries that are like, how much land do you want? What do you want to build out? Where do you want to put it? And you can just freely design whatever structures you need because you have all of that landscape. That's a big difference too. I mean, it really gives you the freedom to just think outside the box and go, what if we could do this? And you realize, oh, we can do that. Fremont just is already a thick structure. So I had to work within those boundaries. So it's very different now because they can just build out wherever the land exists. Absolutely. Um, speaking of which, because, you know, everybody is asking, hey, listen, you guys had that big rave party and the whole open house at Giga Berlin. What about Giga Texas? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So our friend Sawyer Merritt uh, took to te- uh, took to Twitter and asked Elon. So I'm feeling Giga Texas uh, deserves uh, similarly opening a Giga Berlin, a cool tour, rave. Uh, can we have some kind of thing for um, for Giga Texas? And uh, Elon responded, hell yeah. So looking forward to that one. Some of us are actually starting to make plans behind the scenes um, for doing some kind of convoy getting down there. Luckily for me, I just got my updated passport and the borders are going to open sometime in early November. I'm not saying that they're going to have this party right away, but I'm looking forward to that. So that's probably going to be my next one of my next uh, big road trips. So here's here's a question for you. We've, we've had Tesla tequila. Uh, there's now Giga Beer. Giga Beer coming is happening. Out, right. Are we going to have like Giga Steak? for texas like what, what's the what will be the marketing strategy behind whatever because to me if you're thinking texas you're not like doing wine no 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 right no. if you're doing beer you're doing like something cheap uh that's like a low quality lager or something so are, i mean are they gonna but the, tesla's doing high-end stuff <laughs> so we're talking like tesla filet like what are we what are we talking uh, about time man if you've been to austin there's some damn good uh, barbecue there uh my friend john took um Ken and I out back in 2017. We had a really good time out there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to to, to seeing the factory and as and partaking in some good Texas, good Texas steaks. Hopefully, Elon, if you're listening, steaks for the rest of us. <laughs> oh, they could do Tesla tuna. Fine Lab has aligned protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. I, I pitched what I thought was a cool idea to Tesla Stars when we were goofing around with this. In that, you know, um, of course, our, our friends Tesla Stars that were involved in the Cannonball, yeah. uh, the electric Cannonball run, and uh, Tesla Owls going across Europe, and you know, they they managed to sneak in to the uh, to the uh, Giga Berlin event, and I thought, well, you know, like if you run into problems with security, we should all pull that move from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where it's like. I keep seeing this thing. Like, what the hell is, why am I here? How come I have so many questions? Like just act like, who are you people? (laughs) Exactly. Show up with like little replicas of of the gigafactory and mashed potatoes or something and saying, you did this. This has been implanted. I I, I cannot believe right now how old the show has become (laughs) that you're referencing a 1970s movie. Like, it's a great movie, dude, man. I, I know plenty Listen, of kids that watched it. The classic. Don't get me wrong. I've never seen it. I think what Richard Dreyfus is in the film. Yes, of course. Right? I've never seen it, and I'm telling you. <gasps> Listen, I am almost I'm almost 44 years old, Hennessy. and right now I feel like I'm 74 thanks to the two of you. Hennessy <laughs> by ridiculous. Hennessy by word. Hennessy by deed. Please, do, be punishment for this, sir. We're getting out <sighs> the competition. Eric, do yourself a favor. Watch the movie. 
Absolutely. understand. All right, let's move on. Listen, I'll, I'll make references to new stuff. You guys will be totally lost. <laughs> no, no, no. We're listen. We're in the same time zone here. We're on the same timeline. <laughs> You're just a little younger. You need to go back and watch. No, no, we are. We are not on the same timeline, sir. No, sir. <laughs> come on, come on. Move come on. on. Close encounters. All right, moving on. Uh, for those of you who haven't updated uh, your Tesla app, it is now at 4.2. Um, iOS gets the updates faster than Android. I don't know why. But anyways, if you want to sideload it, there's APK Mirror is a place where you can go and download the latest version of Android. Anyways, so we have some friends. Tesla Scope is uh, namely one of them who have uh, dissected the Android version because apparently it's easier to do because you can just download the zip file and rip it apart. Well... They found some very interesting things that are coming. Now, this is in the app. It has not been enabled yet, so we're going to need a software update on the cars. But look what's coming, folks. First glimpse of the UI relating to live streaming of the dash cam on your Tesla mobile app. <sighs> We've all been waiting for this. Um, they go on to confirm not only that, but we will have the ability. Let me bring up the sub subsequent tweet here. Looking through, looking through the strings, and I, I know it's really, really geeky here, but there's a whole bunch of strings in here relating to being able to use the passenger or the pedestrian warning system through your app to talk to people. So if uh, that's going to get so out of control, <laughs> I know. So step away from the car, move away, creep. All of, all of the Night Rider references that are forthcoming. At least that's '80s guys. 80s. '80s. I know. I know. <laughs> it's too new for me. So, anyways, uh, for those of us who've been looking for a way to Not look at, look at your <laughs> your um, your videos um, through the Tesla app remotely, well, it is uh, looks like it's coming. So, probably a couple of software updates away. But uh, this is very promising. A lot of people have been asking about this for some time. So, let's see here. What else have we got here? Uh, let's talk about Tesla Crash Lab. Now, Tesla has been releasing some very interesting videos. If you haven't been Hold on, I pause that there for just a moment. Thank you so much for the introduction. Yes. Um, Tesla has been releasing a number of different videos lately. The last one that we uh, referenced, I think, the, at the last podcast was the uh, sheer size of the uh, of the Cybertruck's uh, uh, front windshield because they were talking about Tesla glass. Well, Tesla now has a video talking about their safety systems now. Well, uh, I'll put a link in the show description. I won't play the whole thing. Maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. Are we going to get copyrighted? There's no music so in this? Impact. This is the last piece of validation for what we believe is a world first. Previously, the best way to design a safe car was for industry standard crash testing. And those this crash is interesting right here. are like a few grains of sand. Those grains of sand are meant to represent the beach, but in reality, the beach is infinitely complex. Every crash is different. With emerging technologies, there are new opportunities. Now we can look at the real world and design for that. We're the only car maker in the world that has a, a fleet of well over a million cars on the road, fully instrumented from a, a sensing perspective. We can know exactly where the seat is. We can know where the steering wheel is. We know if they're belted. We know when the airbag deployed exactly to the millisecond. We know exactly what the, our fleet of cars is being exposed to out there. The richness of data we are collecting enables us to develop safety beyond the stars, and beyond the ratings, and for situations which is simply not picked up by the uh, regulatory rating test that, that uh, we and all other car makers are doing. Okay, let's talk about this real quick. Um, it is pretty much well known in the industry that most car manufacturers design their cars largely to pass standardized tests. Um, we've been told through various sources many times before that uh, Tesla does a, a large number of software crashes in their cars. And when they find a weak point, that's where they go and focus on. 
Um, and they keep doing that until they get their perfect safety rating. So essentially what's happening in this video, and it's interesting that Tesla is now talking about having their own crash lab. Not all manufacturers do that. Sometimes they send them out. Tesla in the early days did send out their Model 3s to an independent crash lab, but now they've built their own, so they do their own. And uh, if you've never seen a crash lab, it's pretty interesting. Ian and I got to see one at uh, Transport Canada a couple years ago. It's pretty fascinating to see that. Effectively, what's going on here is that Tesla is using physical crashes on their cars to validate their software, not the other way around, which is kind of interesting. So the fact that they can gather all the data from the fleet of the cars, plus use software to do a whole bunch of crash testing to make sure that when they get to eventually do the physical crashes of the car, it actually validates what they actually did in software. Pretty interesting stuff. I mean, that's, I mean... You know, Tesla's it's the so cars. next level. I, it's I really hard to appreciate until you watch the whole video. And it, it sunk in. It was like, oh, my God, they're they're basically simulating everything that they can think of. And all of the edge cases that come in through the data acquisition, you know, really fuel that. I mean, it's it's way beyond anything I've seen from any other OEM. Mm -hmm. So it's very, uh, very encouraging that we are going to get safest cars. Now, for those of you who are doubters out there who are saying, oh, the Cybertruck's not going to a safety crash or five-star five safety crash rating because it's stainless steel and it's, it's going to kill pedestrians and going to slice everybody in half. That's not how things work, folks. These This is a very regulated business. Cybertruck will have cra crumple zones. It will have five-star safety rating. Tesla will not ship a car that doesn't have a five-star crash rating. So just set it aside. Set your, you know, stop being a keyboard warrior about it. Just set it aside. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, one last little tidbit before we leave it to Ian, and we will get to viewer questions here very shortly here. I want to bring up one more tweet, and uh, that is to confirm that, um, well, one more. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. He did mention it um, before. Uh, our friend Jay, Jay in Shanghai ha, uh, had asked, uh, shouldn't all the superchargers have Wi-Fi? Elon confirmed, yeah, they will. Uh, he has said this in the past, but we have yet to see any kind of action on that. By the way, Kettleman, have you guys seen that? Kettleman Supercharger down in California? Massive it's numbers. Massive. They already have over 50 chargers. They're adding another 56 or something? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's bananas. Yeah. That's a busy spot. That's good. I'm glad to see that. 100 chargers. Yeah, that's, that's just crazy. Oh, and I want to remind folks, since we're talking about superchargers, I was going to a supercharger in Delray Beach, and there was a non-functioning charging station, and someone took the cable and draped it over the top. As a reminder, don't do that. Uh, it, it can damage the cable. So if there is a non-functioning station when you go to supercharge, notify Tesla through the car. Let them know there's a non-functioning. They may not know it doesn't work. Maybe they do. Uh, maybe they're scheduled for service. But yeah, don't take the cables and just drape them over because they're really heavy, really expensive, and they can damage that. Don't do that. There is a so sticker. Just, there is a yeah. sticker on the side of the supercharger with a phone number that you can call to report. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that all the superchargers, by the way, are connected to Tesla and they actually do know when they are down. I can confirm this. Last time I did a supercharge in Kingston, um, it said on the screen that two of the stalls were definitely out of out of uh, order. And when I pulled in, one of the guys rolled down his window. He says, that one's out. I says, yeah, I saw. I didn't know which one was, but two of them were out. And sure enough, they were. Okay. That would be great if they can in the screen let you know if they are they, if they know the number, but then also can tell you which number stalls they are. Uh, I would suspect they will helpful. do that in, in, in the future. Right now, it does tell you, yeah. you know, two stalls are out, out of order, reduced service, whatever the case may be. But anyways, baby steps. They have to do one thing at a time. Okay, Ian, uh, take uh, take this one away here because you, uh, you brought something to our attention here about GM. 
Yeah, it was interesting. In um, the um, online newsletter I get from SAE every week, uh, GM has announced that they're going to have uh, the next generation of autonomous driving system in their car called Ultra Cruise. And that is pretty similar on paper to uh, FSD. And they're claiming that this is actually going to go into service next year. So I'll just, I'll just read you guys the, the quick intro so that you all understand mm -hmm. what's going on here. So GM's next advanced driver assist system will leverage radar, cameras, and LIDAR to permit hands-free operation in 95% of driving scenarios. GM has announced the next generation of hands-free Super Cruise, um, upping the label to Ultra Cruise, and claims that um, the system, uh, first expected to appear on Cadillac models in 2023, will ultimately enable hands-free driving on all paved public roads in the U.S. and Canada in 95% of driving scenarios. At launch next year, the system is expected to cover more than 2 million miles of roads with the capacity to grow to more than 3.4 million miles. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you can read the article. I'm sure Trevor can post the link yep. for it and you can see it all in detail. But I think there's some interesting differences uh, in it that I found fascinating. One of them is it does incorporate a very small LiDAR unit behind the windshield. And um, the biggest one to me was that, lo and behold, they tell you right in the article, they're going to have cleaning systems for all of the cameras and sensors oh. on board. So jelly. Yes. So jelly. <laughs> They saw the light. Tesla, please, if you're listening, get on board with this. We, especially up in Canada, we need cleaning systems we do. for our cameras. It's an essential thing if you really want to make this work. So I thought that was um, an interesting one-up. It'd be interesting to see how it's going to perform in real life. Um, you know, They still claim it's level two, so don't expect any magical you know, level four, level five autonomy just yet. They're, they're building it as a, as a level two system. And um, they were pretty forthcoming with the limitations. Like they say, for instance, it won't be able to do roundabouts. They consider that to be too complex. So Tesla, big feather in your cap for being able to handle roundabouts, because apparently that is right now impossible as far as the guys at GM are concerned. But um, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting, um, but especially the camera cleaning part. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've been harping on that for quite some time. There is no mm -hmm. way that Tesla's going to get to all of these things that they want without mitigation for weather. It's one thing to have the front windshield wipers, but if you're relying on yep. the side pillar cameras, sorry, folks, need to get them cleaned. Yep. Hydrophobic exactly. recordings are not good enough. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. All right. Is it that part where we talk about questions now? I think it is. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Uh, first of all, I say thank you to everybody on Twitter who submitted their questions. Uh, usually the day of we do the podcast. If you follow me, um, Tesla Owners Online uh, on Twitter, I will put out a questionnaire, Google form that you can fill in and we will gladly answer whatever we can on the show, whether it's Tesla related or uh, your car related or uh, no medical questions. We're not medical people so and we're not financial people either, so we won't give that kind of stuff. Um, Eric, what's the first question we got for tonight? Oh, okay. Uh, from our friend Lars at Tesla Para Todos. Hey, Lars. With how you doing, buddy? And yes, that is, it's not Tesla para Toros, it's Tesla para Toros. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've had Lars on the show before. Uh, the yeah. episode yes. is called uh, European, European, European. Tongue tied on that one. You want to try that again? Euro, European, your opinion. So if you go back and I'm listen to that podcast. right now. All right. <laughs> With EU production imminent, what are some of the major differences you expect to see from that market? European production of Model Y? I guess that's probably what he means. It's got to be something comparable, yeah. Well, I'm going to call him now and ask. We can just call him now. Well, and ask. you know, what is it like three in there? Yeah, probably. Oh, he'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to kind of refer back to what we were talking earlier in the show. 
about the Model Y advancements. So obviously everything going to Europe in due time, because I don't think that they want to continue shipping everything out of Shanghai. Keep in mind, the factory is going to take the better part of a year to get ramped up. So mm -hmm. for the time being, they will start, they're hoping to start production and start delivering cars by the end of this year in Europe. Now, where they go, I don't know. Right-hand drive, left-hand drive, I have no idea. Um, and again, initial production of Model Y is the usual plan B. 4680 cells are not ready yet. So it'll, it'll literally be identical to a Fremont or a Shanghai-made Model Y. So at least initially, so, I don't expect to see that many differences, if any. Yeah, I, I would answer the question a little bit differently, and I would answer it this way. Um, I think, number one, we think about the countries in Europe, um, especially like Norway, which is really leading the way with EV evolution, right? Um, and... If you think about the markets there that could benefit from having very quick turnaround from order to delivery, one of the hiccups with the EU is when we saw Model 3, Australia gets their reservations in first, and then they're waiting forever because the cars are being delivered to those who ordered it last, ideally, and they were getting it first and sort of reverse order deliveries because of their location. Um, so if you have a market that is sort of longing for a wide array of EVs, knowing the brand that Tesla stands for uh, and knowing the adoption rate that we're seeing in Europe is probably higher in certain places than we're seeing here in certain US uh, localities. We know California is big on this, right? But like not every state, I mean, Texas, Knock, knock. Um, <laughs> we're seeing different paces for that. Um, so I think in general, whenever, whenever, even if production is staggering out the gate, once it is fully ramped up, I would expect massive numbers from that market um, because of how quickly like cars will just be ready to order where you can maybe place an order and then two or three days you can get your car. Uh, if they're on the lots already. So that's, that's going to be the biggest change for them is the, the wait time uh, that they're yeah. used to now is going to be drastically reduced. Uh, and that may end up having more orders and more cars in the road in a shorter period than we've ever seen before. It's, it's important to remind folks, because if you're new to the podcast, maybe you're not too aware of how Tesla works, but their logistics are such that because they only have two functioning factories at the time, at this current time, that, uh, because of how Tesla recognizes revenue that at the start of a quarter, they always start manufacturing cars for foreign markets at the furthest distances first. So Fremont starts building European or Asian cars at first, same thing in China. And then towards the later part of the, the quarter, they switch over to local production. So if you're placing a car, if you live in North America and you place a car at the starting of a quarter, don't expect to see it right away. You'll see it towards the end of the quarter. It's just kind of the operate. And to Eric's point, exactly what's going on. The fact that they're going to open a factory in uh, Germany that will handle the European market will severely cut down the amount of time that people have to wait for those cars. And same thing in North America, once the uh, Giga Texas factory comes online with Model 3, mm -hmm. or not Model 3, but Model Y and Cybertruck and that kind of thing, that will cut down that. Uh, the other side effect of... Um, of Tesla making Model Ys at the Gigafactory in Texas will be that once it's fully ramped up, I would suspect that Tesla will probably cut down production or shut down production in Fremont for a short amount of time so they can do much needed upgrades there for that car. So they have to have another production line up and running to take the load off because you can't change the wheels going down the highway at 80 miles per hour, right? So that's what we expect to see there. All right, what's the next question? It comes from Maurice. He says, why don't Tesla vehicles have two-way charging like Ford Lightning and Hyundai Ionic? Not yet. 
Not yet. We do. I, I thought I read somewhere that the Model 3 inverter does do two-way, but it has not. Um, Tesla hasn't done anything as far as enabling that. Keep in mind, you can't just take your car and plug it into your house uh, for the energy transfer to go from the car to the house. Right. You, you can't do that. It's right now. It's it's only one way. To do it the other way needs additional equipment. You know. You know, electrical stuff. So it's not as simple. I think I have a reason why. Mm -hmm. Power walls. Power walls. Yes. Well, if you so with with the Ionic and the Lightning, um, which honestly, great name to call it a Lightning. I'm sorry, it just is. <laughs> um, I'll give credit where credit's due, right? So the the idea is that those are just auto manufacturers producing a truck or a car, and they're going to say, yeah, you can use this as an emergency battery supply if you need to. Tesla's like, time out. We've been making battery packs for longer than you've been actually conceptualizing these cars, yeah. right? So they're like, why would we hurt that sector by just giving you a car they could do? Now, maybe they will, and that's why I say not yet. I think eventually the plan is to eventually have the cars have the ability to do that. You may have to get something on your home to do it safely. You can't just like, you know, like Trevor said, just like plug it into an outlet and like, ta-da, our no, Wi-Fi work works. Like, like, no, that's not how that is. Um, but I think in part because they are an energy company, you know, part of their part of their solutions is the solar roof. It is Powerwall. It is this whole energy grid system for your home that you would sort of cut into that market a bit if you just out the door said, yep, all our cars are now battery packs. Now you can run your fridge in a power outage. Um, I think what they would want to eventually get to the point is that's an emergency backup. So if you're in an area that's affected by a severe storm and you're out of power, that in a pinch the car could supply a little bit of power for you so you can charge your phones, have some flashlights, whatever it might be. But ideally, I think long-term, it's going to be down the road. But I think right now, the answer is they have an energy product and they don't want to dip into that. Eric makes a very good point. If it wasn't for the power wall, chances are we'd probably see it a lot sooner than later. Mm -hmm. You know what I always thought was that, you know, they with the S and the X having free supercharging, so for the first five, six years that those models were around... Um, it wouldn't have been in their interest to do it because everybody would be juicing up with the supercharger free all day, going home and powering <laughs> the house. So that would have been a major drag, you know, on their 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 costs through the supercharger network. Now, of course, now that Model Three came out and you have to pay for supercharging in, in almost every case, I don't think that rule applies anymore. So starting with with three and Y, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do it, especially if the inverter is capable of it. But I always thought previously that was the argument. It's like, well, no, we can't have people juicing up and for free and, and power house. I will say though, I think ultimately if you can afford the power wall solution, I think it's the best bet for people. I would say living here in South Florida, it's, I mean, we get power flickers all the time, uh, but we can have power outages in the bad storm for several hours and our local electrical company will, you know, all, there's a transformer that blew out or something strange that can happen. Um, power wall is the best solution for that. So yeah, I mean, I think for a short period, the car would be a good resource. But ideally, depending upon the car you have, the size of your battery pack, how old batteries are, um, you know, there's a lot of different factors there in terms of how much energy you can get from your car. But but also, like, if your car is not fully charged and you have, like, 16%, like, <laughs> how much draw are you going to get out of that, too? So, I, 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 like I said, if you can do an energy pack, like Powerwall, to do that, that's probably what I would recommend. But I think eventually Tesla will find a way to allow owners that if your battery is at a level above X threshold, 
that you could use it as an emergency way of getting power to your home. I would hope they'd be competitive. Uh, Rivian's another company, for example, that has plans mm -hmm. on doing that too. So, And those guys are up and coming. So, At some point, I'm sure they're going to have to do it because everybody else sounds like they're going down that road. And I mean, it's not insignificant. The inverter basically should be able to spit out what it was, what it's capable of taking in, right? So 11 kilowatts, it's 11,000 watts. You can power a lot of stuff in your house yep. with 11,000 watts. Yep. But as, as we've come to learn with, with a lot of the stuff is depending upon the, the distance from the car and the cable and the outlet, like you're going to, the longer the cable, the more energy drain you lose. Mm -hmm. um, you also have to it's, figure it's out, not you know, that significant. It's not significant. I agree. But I also feel like there's, I do often wonder though, scientifically speaking, and I'm, I'm happy to learn this and discuss this out loud with you guys um, because show prep um, <laughs> is if you reverse the polarity. So rather than have the car always take energy, it's now giving it. Mm -hmm. Do you lose some in the transfer? Like in reversing the polarity, do you not get as much energy well, back out of the car as you would putting into it? There, there are losses, um, you know, whether they're significant or not, I think depends on many different factors, not only the inverter, but the gauge of the wire, all that fun stuff. Anybody mm -hmm. who's operated a, an electrical tool on a very long extension cables knows all about voltage drops. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think you're running a car at, uh, you know, with a hundred foot cable. Well, I mean, but, but but also like, what are you running in your house? Are you running yeah. a pool pump, a refrigerator, your AC? Like, I think yeah. that also is going to be contingent on exactly how quickly and how much, you know, how effective this mm -hmm. all is. Because if you're just like trying to, I would tell you, if you're running, if you have a 2000 square foot house and you're running your AC on a two story home, you're going to drain the energy in your car fairly mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. So, well, again, you, you can pull up to 11 kilowatts theoretically out of it. Uh, to answer your question on the efficiencies, there's been a couple of guys in the forum who've, who've done the numbers on this. And I mm -hmm. think the inverter in the three is something like around 90, 94% efficient. It's pretty okay. good. Mm -hmm. can, yeah. If you took the total amount of kilowatt hours that you're putting into the car versus what the battery actually sees, it's it's over 90%. I mean, don't quote me exactly, but it's, it's a very high number. And as far as losses coming back into the house, if you were to use the same wiring, like I have a four gauge cable that powers my two uh, wall connectors. And I mean, if you've got the right gauge of wire to support, like, you know, for an 11 kilowatt charger, you should be running something that's capable of at least handling 15, 16 kilowatts. It's got to be at least 80% of the capacity. There's not going to be a huge amount of loss there. There'll be a little bit, but it, it should go back, you know, into the house at, at the same efficiency rate as it went out, my, which is My big is question is, is there a standardized protocol for V to G, vehicle to grid? Is there like some kind of I'd consensus be, in love... the industry? I wonder. Yeah, I'd love to know what the electrical regulations are in, in different states and provinces on how that works. Because to your point, Trev, um, I don't think you can just reverse it and all of a sudden it magically shows up. Well, obviously up back you need in an your, inverter, in but the communication yeah. between the car and inverter, mm -hmm. is that standardized? Is like there's is there a standardized yeah. Protocol for that, or, or is Rivian doing their own thing, and and Volkswagen, you know, are, are you know, I wonder how that works. Anyways, food for thought. We should move on. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, one more question comes from Todd Smith. He says, "Do you think Apple? Oh, an Apple question here. <laughs> do you think do you think Apple will use Foxconn to build their cars at Lordstown? Um, I have, I am not privy to any. I would, Apple's I would venture. Plans. If I'm going to hazard a guess, I would say no. Well, we do know through the grapevine, and of course, it's hard to get anything out of Apple because they're so bloody tight-lipped about anything, but we know they approached BMW. They recently approached a Hyundai. Um, maybe there's a third car manufacturer in there about building their cars. They're not interested. Listen, Apple doesn't really manufacture anything on their own other than their factory down in Austin, Texas that makes the little Mac Pro. Um, 
they they use Foxconn, they use uh, Han Hai, they use a bunch of different companies to make their products. It's it's all you know offshore type of things. If they were building a car uh, and they plan on delivering something in twenty twenty four and they're going to do it themselves, they'd be building a factory right now, and I don't see that happening. So obviously they're going to partner with somebody if they have plans on going to a car, and I'm still unconvinced that that that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I, I just Foxconn makes small devices. They're not they're not an auto manufacturer. No, and that's why they've been it, approaching you know car yeah, manufacturers exactly. because yeah, like, that's I mean, their thing. And, right. Well, I also feel like too, if you have a company like Foxconn, and, and right now we know there's obviously, uh, you know, issues with chips and other technologies oh. available uh, globally. Um, and I know the U.S. is working on trying to get that remedied as fast as possible. But, but ideally, if you have a technology company like Foxconn, if you wanted them to make components for your car, oh, that's one. Thing. That makes sense. But are they going to be the manufacturer? Hell no. Hell to the N-O, no way. <laughs> um, you know, and and I think, you know, there's been, Apple's been in discussions for years. We've heard so many rumors and leaks over the years about them wanting to come out with a car. We've seen a number of renderings about the car, what it looked like and everything else. It, it may be 20 years before this project even is finalized. Um, I mean, I don't hold it against Apple. Apple has done a number of amazing things over their lifespan. But I, to me, like this is not—I don't think this is a priority for them. But I also will say this: Can you guys conjure up? I mean, they keep refining what their product line is. But the last major innovation from Apple is—is—I mean, if you consider the chipsets, fine. But ideally, the newest product they've created was iPad, and ideally, tablets kind of existed. Like the iPhone was really the biggest, most revolutionary product that Apple's last created, and that was how many years ago? 2007 like 2004 five around that well, that's like when they started mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's i mean but a car I, it's, I mean great if they do it but i mean it's kind of it's kind of like now with apple tv i sort of see it like you're <laughs> entering a marketplace that already has a number of competitors yeah and the apple so TV you're gonna you're gonna make best. a little dent in the market but i mean it's not gonna be as substantial as other companies I, have already uh, listen i just bought a new tv i don't need an apple tv it's got the apple tv app built into it so why would i mm -hmm. buy a, a streaming box i mean i used to have a streaming box until it got taken out by the lightning storm i'm, I'm talking even just the 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 platform itself not mm -hmm. the box i'm talking just the platform of the yeah. movies the tv shows the documentaries like they they're coming out now but like netflix you know and amazon prime and all these different hulu yep. i mean look for people who were cable cutters you're now sort of coerced into damn it i got so many things now i want to watch right um, but like Apple wanted to enter that market space. They saw what was happening with a company like Amazon. Like, well, wait, we want to get a share of that pie too. But like a car is a totally different thing. Yeah. And, you know, they, they keep going from manufacturer to manufacturer because they haven't found that partnership that's going to be viable for them. Um, and I don't, you know, again, maybe it will, but it's tech, but if you're having BMW or Hyundai, or all these companies do it, like, is it really Apple's product? I mean, it, it kind of isn't in that in that case. I always thought that about the. I mean, if we're going to talk about the car project, let's talk about the car project. Um, All right. <laughs> I my opinion with Apple has always been, if they're going to enter the car market, I, I just don't see a go to market strategy for these guys. It just doesn't seem to be something that would really fit in. I mean, if you're going to do the software thing, okay, maybe they have an ecosystem that they can extend into, but it just it just doesn't smack of something that they would really want to deal with. Yeah. But to your point about manufacturing, um, 
you know, you can't just go to an uh, electronics manufacturer and say, build us a car. It doesn't work like that. You have to approach the incumbents in there. Uh, Apple certainly doesn't have the expertise to build a car. They have to they have to get the people to do that. Look how long it took Tesla to, to get up to uh, mass manufacturing. They started with nothing. Um, you know, the Roadster was built by somebody else. They just did the electronics and the battery pack. Um, so just like anything else, you got to start somewhere. But again, it, it just, if I, I keep falling back with Apple. It's like, I just don't see a, a go-to-market strategy for these guys. Um, let alone the way that Apple works with their manufacturers is that Apple basically will do one of two things. They will dictate to the nth degree how you're going to do things. And second of all, if you don't have the machinery, they will pay and they will invest to do it for you. And I don't see any car manufacturer that's going to uh, bend over and do what Apple wants. Um, the car industry is very much not invented here syndrome. And to have Apple come in and, and dictate how they want things done, I just it just smacks of, yeah, the car industry is just not known for that. I'll just go out and throw this out there. It, it, everything you've just said is 100% true as of today's date. Let's go five years down the road when, you know, the, the whole EV movement has hockey sticked like through the ceiling. And now we know there's going to be some incumbents who have been wandering around going, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And they're going to be left so desperate. They're going to have all of this infrastructure, all of these production facilities, all of this, this labor force that are now being driven out of the market because they didn't act fast enough and have no product. They might suddenly be very, very motivated to take on an external party like Apple who has a concept for a car. Um, the part that that's missing to me is, you know, the real secret sauce to building an EV is obviously the powertrain and the batteries. Yep. You know, like how much of what their current knowledge base is is transferable to vehicle batteries because we know the chemistry and the cooling and everything is super critical and very, very different from what they're building currently. That's the part to me that's kind of like, hmm, is there a lot going on in the background we're not seeing? Because if that part's not there, I don't see where their advantage is. If they've got that figured out, they could be an attractive partner for, like I said, for an, uh, an incumbent who's running into serious trouble in four or five years and hasn't got anything yet tabled up to go. Well, the bottom line, well, with, also... the, the bottom line with Apple is, is they do have to look at new markets and new products because you can't sell iPads and iPhones for the rest of your, your days. You got to find new markets. Well, I also think too, when, if, if Steve Jobs were alive today still, uh, the company might be performing very differently than what we're seeing today under Tim Cook. But I also think SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, for that matter, um, these, are th these are companies led by three exorbitantly super rich white dudes <laughs> um, who honestly could put their money to better use frankly, I'll be honest with that. But I also know that they're private contractors that are fighting for the same real estate in space. And SpaceX routinely keeps winning out those contracts with NASA, whatever the bidding wars may be. And, you know, they're not revolutionizing a whole lot in terms of space science, right? Like we've been going into space for decades since the 1950s. And, you know, I, I don't think that they're inventing, reinventing the wheel per se, right? The thing that SpaceX did with Falcon Heavy, which is, you know, that vision of two rockets landing side by side at Cape Canaveral, like that's an amazing thing to see because before SpaceX, you just dumped a rocket in the ocean, like, all right, that's it, we're, we're done with it, one, one use and we're done. And they're finding a way to sort of, you know, help lower costs. Um, 
but we're still venturing to the same damn real estate we've been doing since the 1960s. We're just kind of going a little bit up there and then we're back again. Now, the goal is to eventually go farther. So we're going to see now with the James Webb Telescope, all the new things it can discover with Lucy launching this weekend. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cool things that are happening at NASA outside of just SpaceX and their contracts. Um, but be that as it may, there's not a lot of major changes. Like we're excited to see what they're doing, but they're not, they're not all of a sudden like launching a new way of going into space. We're still putting fuel in a rocket, lighting the, lick, uh, the wick, and then off we go, right? Um, and so, yeah, our rockets don't pop at launch, but you get the point. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I mean? So like, and Hopefully. then to me, like, but, I, but the correlation to that in Apple is if you go with a car, you're not reinventing the car. You just want to get your name on a car. And ideally, like, how different is it? You're, it's their car can't be the iPhone of cars. To me, That's Tesla a, is already exactly. the iPhone of cars. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what. The, to me, it's just it's a lofty goal. That's great. Um, and if they if they if you, listen, if you hire like Ford's doing thousands of workers to build the Apple car, great. Have that workforce here. Put people to work. Get union jobs in there. Awesome. All for that. But ideally, like. It's it's a freaking car. It just it's weird. It's a whole weird <laughs> thing. And people ask this question. I'm like, I, why? It's just it's weird. I, it's a it's a valid question. I just think it's a strange topic that we, that people keep asking about when it's been years of this conversation already. Well, time will tell. Uh, I think the last we heard is that they have plans on 2024, maybe 2025. But again, I'm going to go back until I see otherwise. Um, I just don't see a, a market for these guys. Uh, well, that's pretty much the end of the show. You guys have any uh, closing things or? Um... We're good. <laughs> All right, Eric, why don't you go first and tell where uh, people can have a chat with you if they'd like. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for this conversation today. It's been great getting these questions from our audience. It's been a while. Yes. So it's good to hear from, from our friends out there. Uh, you can find me on social media. Uh, I am on this website. If you've heard of it, it's called Twitter. Um, it was not down last week when Facebook went down and all those different <laughs> things. So Twitter continued to work. Uh, so if you wanted to reach me, you actually still could last week. So you can find me on Twitter. The handle is ECFIX. That's E-C-F-I-X. Uh, and you can always uh, say hi, whatever it is. I just had 10 years of BS on Twitter. So here we go. Another 10 more years of nonsense from your <laughs> Lovely. All right, Ian, how about you? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on that same famous website under the handle Ian Pavelko, as well as Tesla Owners Online under the handle Matt Hungarian. If there's anything I can help you with in either place, I am always happy to do so. And of course, if you're looking for something in the way of Tesla wear, you can go to my little website called, uh, well, not my website, certainly, but my little shop on Teespring, T-E's, yes, a little shop of horrors, teespring.com and go to Mad Hungarian Evolve Wear and you can find my stuff there. Yes, link will be in the show notes if you guys want to check out his site as long, along with um, everything we've discussed uh, this evening. What do what did the sales of your shirts benefit there, Ian? Well, thank you, Eric, for asking that question because I've gotten lazy in recent episodes and I even <laughs> forget to alliterate on that. But yes, they go to um, help um, various EV organizations, volunteer organizations, such as here in Quebec, we have LAVEC, L'Association du Véhicule de Québec. Uh, on a larger scale, we have um, some different partner uh, organizations across Canada under the umbrella of um, Electromobility Canada. And then finally, in the U.S., uh, a portion of the funds go to... Um, uh, wow, I'm blanking out here. In the U.S., we have... Do See what happens do when you don't do say do it often do enough? Do you forget. Yeah. Do do. <laughs> 
Oh my God. I Remember, guess I folks, love... he yes. made a reference to a 1970s film. <laughs> Age is getting to him. Anyway, go to the store, buy some stuff. Exactly. I even got some cool swag here. I got my my amazing uh, weapon weapons of mass, mass adoption, adoption mug. Yes, that's so awesome. get <laughs> some stuff. And and I will I will say this because the global supply chain issues. If you're thinking about getting a holiday gift, whether it's the test calendar, whether it's Ian's different shirts from his shop, get those orders in as soon as you can to make sure that you get your gifts on time. Yeah, good point. That's a very, good very point. wise yeah, point. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a long shopping season this year. I should get on that. All right. Well, I guess that, <laughs> I guess that leaves me. If you want to follow me, I'm very active on Twitter. The handle Plug is... in America. Yes. It's oh, plug in thank America. you, Ian. Plug in yes. America. There you go. All right. You can follow me on Twitter, Tesla Owners Online. Check out the form at teslaownersonline.com. That's a little link down here at the bottom if you're watching on YouTube. Best place and friendliest place to discuss all things Tesla. That's it for this week, and we will see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening, guys. It's been an awesome show, and I hope you appreciate the new YouTube uh, graphics and logos are going on here. I got a, I got a new system, and I finally uh, decided to up my game a little bit on the streaming thing. So show off. Yeah, well, you know, you know how it goes. And uh, maybe in the future, if things work out really well, we'll get a few weeks under our belt. We'll start doing some live streams. So we'll see how it goes. All right, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for watching. Bye for now. Thanks so much for watching.